0: New Species, the podcast where we talk to scientists about their discoveries of organisms that are new to science, but not necessarily new to nature. We talk to the authors of these studies to get behind-the-scenes stories, to talk about why these discoveries should matter to everyone, not just scientists, and to help people better understand the wonderful biodiversity of our planet. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash new species podcast. You're listening to New Species, the podcast where I talk to scientists about their discoveries of new species that they recently described. I'm your host, Brian Patrick, and today we're joined by Ruan Boisen, a PhD student at the University of Free State in South Africa. He's here today to talk to us about his paper published on March 4th in Zootaxa, in which he and his co-author described 17 new species of ant-like ground spiders from the Afrotropical region. Welcome, Ruan. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for joining me from almost the other side of the world. South Africa is certainly on the southern hemisphere. And uh you're enjoying the end of your summer, is that correct? Yes, but uh, still still quite quite hot here. Excellent. Yeah, and, and we just came out of a slightly warm period. We we were negative twenty-five Celsius a couple weeks ago and now we're heading back down towards zero or negative two Celsius. Great times. Still a good
1: time to wear some shorts. <laughs>
0: All right, so you and Charles Haddad, your co-author, uh, describe 17 new species of ant-like ground spiders. Why, why are these called ant-like?
1: Okay, so these um, spiders in the genus Macaria, um, they're called ant-like because they actually look like ants. We also call them mimics um, or ant mimics. So they have similar features um, in their appearance and their behavior. These features include um, thin legs, they include constricted abdomens, mostly visible in the males, and then a reddish, light, a reddish color, or a light brown color, um, sometimes black, depending on the species. These colorations are usually on their carapace, legs, abdomen, um, and they are strikingly similar to their ant models. They're quite small. They're relatively two to five millimeters in length. And now uh, yeah, they have amazing iridescence in some species like Micaria divis and Felix. This is due to the uh what do you call it the microstructures on on the setae on the legs and abdomen.
0: Yeah, and and we get some of these in the United States as well and that that is quite striking that physical appearance of them when you can see that iridescence as you described and that's a very good word for it yeah, coming iridescence, off of them. What do we know about these spiders Other than, you know, so you you gave us a good idea of their coloration and their size. What else do we know about these? Where are they found? How common are they? That sort of thing. Are are they hanging out with ants? Are they preying on ants? Okay, so
1: from the, as a reference, the World Spider Catalog now has 122 described species of Macaria. And they kind of have a worldwide distribution. Um, There are numerous species from North and South America, from Europe. Um, A few records have been well, recorded from Australia. Now with this paper, there are 20 species from the Afrotropical region. And then also Yemen has one, well, so that makes it um, 21. We also describe the first records for Madagascar, Senegal, Mauritania, Tanzania, and Ethiopia.
0: What You mentioned this a couple of times now, what is Afrotropical for those who don't know biogeography? Can you give us an idea of, of what you mean when you say Afrotropical? Afrotropical
1: refers to, oh, well, at least here, refers to the um, afrotropical biogeographical realm. This realm includes um, the whole African t- continent below the Saharan Desert. Um, this also includes the Arabian Peninsula, uh, Madagascar, the, the islands in the, the western part of the Indian Ocean, southern Iran, Iran and a, a small piece of sou- southwestern Pakistan. Uh, although here we only focused on uh, madagascar and the Af- african continent
0: it, it, because it is a pretty massive area for for those who don't know again if you didn't know what afrotropical was for example in north america here north of the rio grande from north America, in and yep. united states and canada we would be the nearctic yeah below that region including a little bit of florida would be the neotropics yes yeah so there's a, there's a, these broad regions that taxonomists and others use to describe kind of the main places where organisms live on a broad, almost continental, continental level. We never get the answer to this though. What What are uh, yeah. these things doing? Are they hanging out with ants? Are they eating the ants? Do, do you have yeah. Do you so, know?
1: You You regularly find them
0: with their models
1: um, hanging around. They actually use their models to gain protection in numbers. They're not very good mimics. Some of them might be, but um, and then. We did a f- we did a few short feeding trials um, to see what what they eat, and we found that they don't actually eat the ants so far. This hasn't been published now, but so far they haven't eaten any of the ants or model uh, or their respective models. Um, but they they do eat smaller insects like um, small wasps, springtails, flies, booklice, termites, and other small hemipteran bugs.
0: So they're not eating their models now. When they're in the columns of ants or when they're hanging out with the ants, are the ants attacking them? Do they ignore them? So this is,
1: um, this is also interesting. that So they will hang around. Um, if I can take an example, uh, Micaria Bufortia. the known model for it is Anaplulepis custodians, uh, the pugnaceous ant. And these ants are very disorganized. And so when the, when the spider runs around among the ants and it touches an ant, it will immediately run away as fast as it can. The ants will attack them if they sense that this is not an ant they <laughs> they making contact with. Um, yeah. No. Otherwise, they just run away.
0: To to your knowledge, these are not. They're just almost parasitic to the ants. They're coming in and they're they're using them for protection, and they're potentially even taking some food if they happen to scare some up. Yeah. That sort of thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we haven't, I haven't seen them stealing anything from the ants per se, but um, definitely a bit more competition for the ants if, if it, when it comes to uh, insects and so on in the area.
0: So you haven't detected anything like cuticular hydrocarbons, which for listeners, that's secretions that may come from organisms that help them uh, say, I'm of this species and you are of that species. And sometimes in mm-hmm. some these mimics, you get them mimicking the sea... The particular hydrocarbon (CHCs) of their host or their the the species they're hanging around. So you don't really have any evidence of them using the CHCs to blend in. Is that what I'm gathering from what you said? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a, a definitive answer uh, on whether they have that feature
1: or not. But um, since they but use, behaviorally,
0: you yeah. you don't have any you don't seem to have any evidence of it on the behavior side, right?
1: No, all the all that we've seen so far is that once they touch an ant, so. In that case it will be a chemical uh, cue that they sense and then they'll run away as fast as they can. They don't have very good eyesight, so they don't see the ants um, coming. So uh, Right,
0: yeah, they they while they are visual predators, they their eyesight isn't great and so they detect a little bit of yeah. movement and they move towards that and yeah. when they figure out like, oh this is not something I want to touch, they run away. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that's a that's a good way to say that. What are these things then doing ecologically? So if, you know, they're they're around the ants, obviously using them for protection because ants are pretty good at defending themselves normally against, you know, a reasonable-sized predator for an ant. What what are they doing in the the ecological world? What do they eat? Uh, You mentioned that briefly, that they had springtails and that sort of thing. Are there other functions they have ecologically or are they just really just hanging out with the ants and trying not to get eaten by other things?
1: Well... So far, we only know that they're no di- hunters, and they kind of forage for anything on on the ground. And uh, besides the small insects that I've mentioned, I've not seen them eat anything else. They do eat each other, now and then. We have one or two cases where a male maybe attacked a, a younger juvenile or another male. But um, I've read some studies on other, other species um, that actually... When there is generational overlap, then the, the newer generation, or the younger generation, they, they will actually catch the, the older generation's females. Oh, so they also occur in a few biomes. Um, from at least South Africa, what I know is they, they are found in famous savanna, grassland, and succulent karua, and namakarua.
0: And what and what about Madagascar and some of the other places where they found? Do you have any idea about their habitats in those? Because it's seventeen species, you, you, are these all generally found in kind of the savanna grassland areas, or are they? Do you know if there are some of the more might be more wooded areas or tropical areas, or?
1: Uh, I cannot remember the, the precise details of that. At least for the niche, the niche they cover, they kind of, you get two groups. There's a larger group of Micaria species that range up to the five millimeter. And then there's a smaller group that include your Micaria divers and Felix, the pretty ones, if I can say it like that. Um, and they kind of differ in their niche. So the larger species always running around outside um, during the day, and they hide underneath the rocks at night. And then the smaller species kind of hide underneath leaf litter, and you may also find them in uh, at the base of grass tussocks, and so on. Um, Probably because there are a lot of smaller things like book lice and so on to feed on there. But in terms of uh, habitat out of South Africa, I'm not, I can't remember exactly.
0: Yeah. 17 new species that cover a significant part of Africa. I, I think it's understandable if you don't remember every detail <laughs> of exactly where they're found. <laughs> now, these are in the family Nathocidae, which uh, is commonly called the ground spiders. Yes. Uh, and you, you talk about. In your paper that these were not always considered ground spiders and they may still not yet be ground spiders why is that can, can you tell us a little bit about that
1: this this kind of ties into some of the morphology um on the on their spinnerets who was it i think it was as a 2018 paper we talked about the differences or the how you how you would uh, differentiate macaria from, from other nuff and it seemed like these spiders don't have the typical longer spinnerets, and well, yeah, that's from what I can remember now. Um, yeah, the naphosids are known yeah. for having
0: these the, the spinnerets at the back. They have two of them that are very, or or, yeah. or more that are very column like. Yeah. They're just very yeah. blocky, like a like a round peg. Yes,
1: and they also have very um very large uh, they call them piriform gland spigots, um, and these also retract which is not seen in any other of, the, of, of the other groups. And then also, um, I think, Wheeler and a bunch of his colleagues did a uh, Tree of Life paper on, um, on all, all kinds of spiders, um, I think it was in 2016, um, where they used genetic data to kind of place, by, um, place spiders in a phylogenetic tree. Mycaria did not group very well with any of the nephacids. Um, in that paper. And so it raised suspicion as to whether they might actually be true in the faucets or not, and whether they, they may be more genera included here.
0: And that's a that's a great way to end that, because that kind of leads in to the next couple of questions I have for you. For example, you described 17 new species. Let's start here before we work our way back up. I'm going to jump jump down a little bit. Okay. How did you decide specifically that these were new species? You had a couple of different methods you used. Could you tell us about that?
1: Okay. So, um, well, firstly, there were only three species described from this region. So it was easy to say that most of them were new. So for our highest priority was to use uh, genitalic morphology to distinguish between species and for the most part, that was not too too difficult. Um, there is some variation within within um, within species, and uh, but we managed to delineate them pretty well. Um, there were also some very close calls to other European species, um, which might need some more looking into if I can get some more genetic data for them. Then a second layer, if I can if I can use that word, was to use leg Um to differentiate between larger groups of Micaria, not so much for species delineation but higher up and then eye pattern as well and then setal structure was also um an interesting uh, character to use um to delineate species because most of the species had different morphology or oh, different structures in terms of, of their of their setae on the body and legs and then okay the- so you used
0: Oh I'm sorry, go ahead, please.
1: No, sorry. And then the, the last thing what we did was we used um, DNA barcoding data um, to kind of to kind of look at the relationships um, of micaria within the afrotropical region and also compare that to any micaria that are not from this region as well. Unfortunately only eight only eight of the species we described were successfully sequenced. I think that already gave us a good idea of where where they might place.
0: All right, so you used morphological, or the shapes of the the spiders and the the various characters about them, and you used some molecular data, what we call a barcode, right? Yes. And a barcode is basically you're using a a single gene. In this case, it's a cytochrome C oxidase subunit 1 gene, right? Yes, Well, CO1 for short. (laughs) Yeah, the CO1 for short. And and for people who, who may not have listened to previous podcasts, that's a specific gene for animals it's kind of like the barcode you find on like your your bottle of water that you buy at the store when they scan it they know that specifically that one even though there are other types of bottles of water and uh, it helps you differentiate at a genetic level organisms that are in the same species versus organisms that are in different species, much the same way a barcode is used to differentiate between two different types of bottles of water. And that's a good way to put it. And that's a pretty common approach, right? We we have, you know, I've had a number of guests who have used CO1 before, and it's been used quite a bit in spiders as well. Yeah. So you hit right into the next bit of questioning I wanted to get into. You use the CO1 gene then, and one of the questions you were able to ask is whether or not all of these species group together on that branch of the tree of life can you tell us a little bit about that so yes um we found that um, micaria uh, as a whole
1: this includes this includes um one or two species of uh, a previously known genus as arboricaria which are now included in micaria as well um, that they are monophyletic that they are that some of the relationships are well well resolved.
0: We do, however, need. And by more... monophyletic, we mean that they all they all group together yes. in one yes. part of the tree, like they're on their own separate yes. little branch together. Yes.
1: So, Micaria, um, at least compared to what did we use? We use Drosodes, grouped together well um, within Macaria, We found two major groups dividing the the larger species and the smaller species. So there might be some some uh, speculation or, whether, or if whether the the smaller species might be the true Micaria and the larger species something else, or vice versa, um, because there are clear differences between those two groups in terms of their their eyes and, or the eye pattern, and then also the leg spanation on their front legs.
0: Okay, so you had some groups that clumped together in what we would call monophyletic; They're all on the same part of the tree together, but then you had a couple of surprises in there where some things ended up being what we call polyphyletic. In other words, we thought they clumped together, but they don't. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um,
1: a previous um, study, I think, was non platnik And what, who was his co-author? I can't remember his his, his first name. His surname was Sh- Shadab. They did a revision on um, Micaria in uh, 19, 19-something.
0: 88, I believe. Yeah, uh, 88.
1: There we go. They constructed a a phylogenetic tree based on morphology and they kind of had these species groups which were just species that kind of clumped together because they were very similar and when we, when we, ra- when we did the analysis, uh, the DNA analysis, including those groups that he used or most of them at least, we found that they were kind of split into several clades several so we had some in that in that species group
0: what we once thought were were all pretty tightly put together, they end up being spread around a little bit and you're getting to rewrite your own little branch of the tree of life it sounds like yes um, or at least <laughs> propose a hypothesis about that.
1: Yes and I believe um, if I could somehow magically get all 122 species in a single tree, I think we would get a very good idea of uh, what their relationships actually look like and maybe per, maybe put in some more genes, genes to give more support to the genetic side of things.
0: Now, when you, you have to come up with names for 17 new species, that can be a little bit challenging. Most people, when they name one or two species, they have a pretty clear idea what they want to do. You had to come up with 17 new names. How how did you pick the names for these new species?
1: So as a personal preference, I, I like to use names that best describe the features of The organism you're working with in this case the spiders um so if i can give an example if the spider had two spots on it it, the name would include something like B maculata um this is a this is a latin name that indicates two
0: spots um right where *bi* means two and then maculata refers to spots so this is a two spotted spider
1: it's it's very possible that somewhere down the line, another species with two spots appears and you have to give up a new name that's maybe similar or something. I think this is the best way to to go about naming the species. And if you run out of options, use locality names. At least you can put a locality to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, nor- normally where you first find it, right? Yeah, yeah. So you had one in there that was Mycaria ganyoa, which was yeah. it was because it became from near an area called Ganyo, I believe, yeah. right? Yeah. And, yeah. But you did have a couple of them in here that were quite curious as far as your names go. How so? Uh, <laughs> for example, Mycaria felix. Can you tell us a little bit about felix?
1: <laughs> it's actually a funny story. Um, so Mycaria felix has, uh, if you look at the female's epigenome or the genitalia. Which is the female
0: reproductive structure. Yeah,
1: the reproductive structures. Um, they have a, 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 a broad continuous structure at the top we call... Um, the anterior hood, and then you have two round structures that are the spermatheca, with with elongated copulatory ducts coming out of them. So if you turn this whole this whole structure upside down, it looks like a very very happy face. And Felix um, translates to happy. So I just thought, okay, well, a happy face, that that's very distinctive. And I called it Macaria Felix. And, yeah. and when
0: you and when you look at the picture, it, it, it took a little imagination at first. But you're right. It yeah. does look like the, yeah. the spermathecae, which are the, the, the organs that would be used for, for reproduction in the female, yes. do kind of look like two eyes. And then this hood you talked about yeah. kind of looks like a smiley face when you look at the whole thing upside down. Yes. Yes. That, sir, is a taxonomist who has been looking at these things <laughs> for too long.
1: Probably. And,
0: Probably. and starts to starts to just get a little punchy late at night and go you know what this thing looks really happy in fact you you even put in the paper extremely happy not just happy extremely happy <laughs> Yeah,
1: no, it, it it's a good name I think
0: oh it's a fantastic name yeah it's and that's those are the ones that, that stick out to people or the ones that have these unusual names when they get the etymology which is the the origin of the yes, words yes. another one that you had in there was Micaria nosi. Can you tell us a little bit about the name nosi? because that had a kind of a particular meaning as well?
1: So Micaria rivenosi is the first Micaria species to be described from Madagascar. Um, so the type locality Feno Rivo. If I hope I'm saying that correctly, we shortened to Rivo, and then nosi is a Malagasy Malig- uh, translation for island. So we kind of had this this. Uh, this combination
0: of it's like a portmanteau where yeah. you just put two words together yeah. to make a new word
1: yeah and yeah, that's about it
0: <laughs> yeah so you, you crunched them together and you you made it rivo island basically right basically basically Only it comes out as riva Nosi in the in the native language <laughs> it
1: wasn't intended um I, I can't remember exactly how i got to the word but it wasn't if um it wasn't supposed to be Rivenosi that that means uh that means <laughs> fenorivo island or Rivo island it was just supposed to to refer to Fenariva as its type locality, but then then I discovered Noce and that and that fit pretty well.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and again, another one of those unique words that you get to put in, and and people will remember yeah. for odd reasons.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> one of the questions I like to ask every guest that I bring on the show is: Okay, why is it important for people to know about these spiders? Why should people care about these?
1: Well, besides the fact that uh, that these are very pretty probably one of the best spiders to photograph. They don't really have any economic or medical importance um, as far as we know. And in an agricultural environment, the the, the few individuals you'll get in, in a monoculture will probably not serve any good um, in any pest control situation. Um, and then the only other use I can think of for them is to study mim- mimetic relationships or the r- relationships between mimics and their models. Um, and in this case, it's between them and the ants. And then um, you can also perhaps investigate how the, their iridescence aids them in um, how to survive because it's, it's odd how something that shiny can survive or try and to escape. That, that would attract visual things predator. to it. Yeah. Um, Yeah,
0: Yeah. you would think that that would attract things to it. It's got this light reflecting off of it.
1: Yeah, Um, and it's possible that we maybe see bright colors, but whatever organism or predator that is trying to hunt them sees is not what we see. And perhaps they kind of mimic light bouncing off the ants in a similar way or
0: something like that. (laughs) And, of course, through all of this, there's just that intrinsic value of just knowing about the diversity of life around us. We went from three species known in the afrotropical region to now up to 20. You've added 17 new species, which is an important bit of knowledge. And we may not know a, uh, an exact use for these yet that, that could benefit humans per se, but that doesn't mean that we have to find one either. The, these can just have value by being part of our ecosystem and actually being an important aspect of it in other ways that we don't have to necessarily get a benefit to humans from, right?
1: Yes, and um, I think essentially it's good to have a name to put um, to put my uh, face to it, if I can put it like that. Um, if you're doing a big di- diversity, essay and you get Micoria Species 1, Species 2, Species, that doesn't help you. Now you have a name to put it and maybe someday, maybe a bit of biology to go with it.
0: Ruan, Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's it's almost 5, or it's past 5.30 p.m. there. Well, it's only 9.30 a.m. where I am. We have about an eight-hour difference between us. I appreciate that you came on the podcast and took the time to talk about these wonderful new little spider species.
1: Oh, Thank, thank you very you. much for having me.
0: <coughs> Once again, Ruan Boysen's paper is in the March 4th issue of Zootaxa, and the title of the paper is Revision of Molecular Phylogeny of the Spider Genus Mycaria, Westering 1851, in the Afrotropical region. See the episode details for a link to his paper. To learn more about Ruan, visit him on Facebook, facebook facebook.com forward slash Ruan. That's B-O-O-Y-S-E-N-R-U-A-N. Be sure to follow New Species on Twitter, at Podcast Species. And like the podcast on Facebook, that's facebook.com forward slash new species podcast. And if you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash new species podcast.